Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Looking forward to the show today. I've got Carl Kirby joining me in just a minute. He loves to train and equip the next generation to stand boldly for the Word of God, which is what we need desperately. He's uh, over at reasonsforhope.com, R-F-O-R-H.com, reasonsforhope.com. Carl, welcome. Uh, Bill, thank you for letting me be back with you, man. Yeah, I love I love having you on, and I love your story, and I, your story is just so fascinating. And I think because Faith Radio has grown leaps and bounds lately, it would be lovely for me to introduce you in a way, once again, to the growing audience and, and let them hear part of your testimony, because I just love it. <laughs> well, God is good, brother. I, I do have a bad background. It's kind of crazy. I tell everybody I grew up around guys with one name, crusher, bruiser, mauler, assassin. So <laughs> you know, dad was a professional wrestler. So if folks are tuning in today, hoping to get some deep theological intellectual type discussion, they won't get it from me. Uh, I, uh, the one thing I learned growing up was how to smell a fake and a fraud from a block away. And, uh, and it, it's helped man over time. I got saved late in life. I was 26 when I got saved and I was, uh, 27 when I got introduced to apologetics and mm. apologetics is that big word for just being able to tell people why you believe what you say you believe. And so that started me on a journey that here I am. Oh my goodness. 26 years, 27 years later, still fired up about the Lord Jesus Christ, about his word and trying to get people to know that they can trust God's word and not be ashamed of being a Christian, especially in a culture where you know, we're kind of mocked, we're ridiculed, we're kind of looked down on. And I'm telling people, you have nothing to be ashamed of, man. When you trust the word, you have true, genuine hope. His name is Jesus and his word is true. We just need to start teaching a generation how to think and not what to think if we really want to impact uh, this world around us. Mm -hmm. Now, Carl, I'm not going to let you off the hook quite that easy. Uh, I, I do want to hear more of your story. I know you spent some time in what, the military or was it the Navy or? Air Force. I did eight and a half years in the Air Force. Yeah, uh, that was it. Blessed, blessed beyond measure to do that. I went into the military because I had a choice of going to jail or going in the military, and I kind of took the easy way out. I uh, told you I had a bad background. <laughs> went into the military as a typist. This is a crazy story, Mr. Bill. I'm in there as a typist, and my drill instructor in basic training at one point was sitting around the day room asking everybody their jobs. He got to me. I said, typist, and the guy started laughing so hard he couldn't <laughs> breathe, mm -hmm. and he called he called me a name that I can't repeat and sure. uh, not, not in today's, not in my world today, but right. uh, I was like, man, that's not good. And he said, get used to it. As long as a big old guy like you's pounding on a typewriter, that's what they're going to call you. I said, well, how do I get out of the job? Go volunteer for a new one. I did. And they had three jobs, ordinance disposal specialist. I said, call me what you want. I'm not messing with bombs. Number two, they wouldn't let me do because I'd hurt my knee in high school playing football. So that automatically disqualified me. And number three, was air traffic control. And I said, this is honest truth, Bill. I said, what is air traffic control? 
the guy looked at me like I'm stupid, said in the wintertime, you're in a heated room. And in the summertime, you're in an air conditioned room. <laughs> Guess what? I became an air traffic controller for the next 24 yeah, and a half years. Fantastic. Yep. Ended up my career at O'Hare. Got out after eight and a half years in the Air Force. Did 16 years in the FAA as an air traffic controller. The last eight and a half years was at O'Hare. And just blessed. I didn't know what the job was. God used it, though, to prepare me to do what I do today. That's for sure. Yeah. I want to go back, Carl, to your days as a typist. Were you a two-finger typist, or can you actually type? <laughs> you know, out of high school, the only class that I, well, two classes. The two classes that I took that helped me the most in life, number one was, guess what? Typing. Typing. Uh, and I actually, in high school, I don't know what I am now, but in high school, when we had to take our tests, I was 65, 68 words a minute. Mm -hmm. uh, with, you know, one one mistake, zero mistakes. And then the other one was speech. Oh, yeah. And it's weird, man. Those are, the, those are the two classes. Forget about algebra and calculus. I couldn't even tell you what, what that is. But those two classes I have used, and obviously not English, I'm about as country as it gets. So, so the, 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 the typing and the, uh, the speaking was the two classes that have stuck with me all these many years. Okay, so you can still type, which is cool. But what about the speaking? That used to terrify you, didn't it? Oh, it still does. Okay. Every time I it, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the truth. I'm an introvert, believe it or not. And until ministry is involved, I don't want to be around people. Yeah. I, I am just, I mean, I get on airplanes and I am not proud to say this. I am embarrassed to say this. But when I get on airplanes, I am honestly hoping that the person that gets on the plane next to me, well, first of all, nobody sits next to me. But secondly, if they're going to sit there, they've got AirPods in their ears or headphones so that I don't have to talk to them because I, I struggle so strongly with talking to people that I don't know. Mm. But when Jesus Christ comes into your life and you realize that it's not about you, that people are going to spend eternity in one of two places, you need to get your mouth open and doing something because do I really genuinely care about people or not? And, and it's easy to say that I do. It's a whole lot more difficult to live it out. So when I challenge people, it's not that I'm trying to tell them how good I am and how well I've got it wired. It's me, a fellow pilgrim on the journey of life, trying to encourage people to get out of their comfort zone the same way that I'm trying to be encouraged to get out of mine. Mm -hmm. hey, Carl, you do such uh, amazing work. And I, again, I want to encourage everyone to go check out uh, the website, uh, Reasons for Hope. It's uh, R-F-O-R-H dot com. And your videos are exceptional and they're fast paced and full of information. And there's no kid that doesn't want to stop watching them. So let's talk about the, the future, the next generation. How do we reach them and how are they responding? And, and uh, can we be hopeful? Absolutely. We can absolutely be hopeful. And this is something that I would strongly stress to any adult I hear all the time from the adults that, you know, kids just don't care. They're getting harder and harder to reach, which is true in one sense. They're getting harder and harder to reach, but it's absolutely false in the sense that they don't care. They do care. But what we're going to have to do to reach them is I think we're going to have to just change the way that we do business. I find a generation to be absolutely hungry, looking for truth, but looking for it to be delivered in such a way from people that genuinely, honestly believe it, not ashamed of it. And doesn't pull punches. Now, we don't have to be belligerent, ignorant jerks. We don't try to do that by any stretch of the imagination. But reality is, is that so many people today are almost apologetic in their faith. And that's not a good apologetic. That's one of actually feeling sorry about sharing the Lord Jesus Christ, where biblical apologetics 
is given an answer, a logical, rational explanation why you believe what you say you believe. And I believe doing so boldly. Now, this generation is absolutely responded. We did 24 camps over 10 weeks this last summer, Mr. Bill. And I'm telling you, I can give you five hours of video right now, five hours of video right now from young people that went through the camps, from leaders that were in the camps, from parents a month later after the camps talking and saying one's in tears, one's like the child that came home isn't the same child that went to camp. Uh, leaders, my my whole youth group has been transformed because they found out that they can trust the word. They learned how to give an answer, why they believe what they say they believe, and it has changed their life. So yes, there's hope. We have the power. His name is Jesus, and he and he tells us how to do all this through his word. Mm-hmm. I know there's uh, people that I've talked to, pastors, theologians, people that work with youth who say today that they're finding a, a lot of kids that have kind of a weak faith because they yeah. they raced to the altar to make a decision for Christ, but then there wasn't a lot of discipleship. And yep, so yep. then years later, they made another decision to be born again, and then years later, another one, and they just... They're they're having trouble. They're having difficulty. They're using porn. They're all kinds of stuff, and it's like, where did where did we uh, where did we go wrong with this generation? Fifty to eighty eight percent of the younger generation walk away from the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'll put it like this: I don't think we ever had them. They're not walking away from the Lord Jesus Christ. They're walking away from something they know very little about towards something they know even less about, and that's why when we work with this generation. I want them to see what they're walking away from and what they're walking to. We don't run from the uh, humanistic, the evolutionary mindset. We teach them how to deal with it. And here's another number that just breaks my heart, quite frankly, uh, Mr. Bill, is that 41% of senior pastors have a biblical worldview. But what do you think the number is when it comes to youth pastors, the people that we have entrusted? So many families have entrusted their spiritual training and upbringing to the youth pastor. What percentage do you think it is of the youth pastors that have a biblical worldview, Mr. Bill? I'm going to guess 18%. It's a real good guess, but it's high. It's 12%. Oh, God. So think about Tragic, Carl. It's tragic. This is the generation that's pouring into, for the most part, spiritually, Parents have abdicated the responsibility to a youth pastor, of which only 12% have a biblical worldview. Wow. And by the way, now I'm really going to get in trouble with some of your listeners. You can't tell me that 41% of the senior pastors have a biblical worldview if they have youth pastors underneath them that only 12% have a biblical worldview, because you cannot put someone in a position like that to be in control over the, the next generation, our greatest resource and them not be biblically solid, they have to be looking at that kind of a thing. So parents, I have to, I, I love you enough. I'm just going to shoot you straight. Do not abdicate your responsibility to a government school, to a Christian school, to a church to educate your child. If you choose to allow any one of those entities to help you in your responsibility to educate them, that's fine. That's between you and the Lord, but you got to be involved. And dad's I can't let you off the hook. You are the primary one that's supposed to be doing this. You've got to be engaged regardless of where your child is being educated. You've got to get engaged. We get We got to quit pawning our our children off on somebody else, man, because it's just not, it's killing us. Mm -hmm. Iron sharpens iron. So one man, another. Thank you for that uh, encouragement, Carl. We're going to take a little break. Carl Kirby is my guest. To learn more about Carl at rforh.com, reasonsforhope.com. We'll be right back.
My guest is Carl Kirby. He's at reasonsforhope.com. Does a lot of work with the younger generation, and boy, am I glad he does because uh, there is a lot of work to be done. And Carl, when I um, think of these kids today and the cultural pressures which they're up against, it is uh, more and more difficult to stand boldly for Christ when you're going to be written off so quickly and maybe be uh, exposed publicly on social platforms. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wish I could show you some of those videos that I talked about earlier. That's exactly what this younger generation has said. Is like, look, my faith is under attack. I go into school and my faith is under attack. And this is the first time that I've ever been taught how to give an answer why I believe what I say I believe, not just being taught what to think and what I believe, but how to approach these things. Uh, I mean, I'm telling you, I had one young lady. It's like, she's just so emotional. Like, this is the first time ever I've learned how to do anything with my faith. It just hits you and she holds her chest. It just hits you right here. Hmm. This is so serious. And and that's saying a lot because, you know, even though we're doing Christian cast, Mr. Bill, the, the, the kids we're getting in there, they're struggling. This younger generation, I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. I, I think a minimum of 30 to 40% of the young people we talk, at, uh, talk to at our camps are some sort of abuse, some sort of sexual abuse. It's rampant. Wow. It's wow. ridiculously rampant. I've huh. got, I've got stories of young girl, 16 at the end on a campfire. Um, you're going to hate me. She stands up in front of everybody at a campfire. You're going to hate me. I've had three abortions. My brothers raped me and my mother tells me it's my fault. 14 year old girl. Uh, I, my best friend put a shotgun in her mouth, pulled the trigger. I can't get that image out of my, out mm. of my head. This is the Christian camps. Now, Yes, there's good Christian kids there as well, but there is a segment, man, that is just flat hurting. And so I think the only answer that we have for that is Jesus Christ. He oh, knows what amen. to do, brokenness. He can take broken pieces and turn it into amazing pictures. That's what a mosaic is, yeah. a bunch of broken pictures that have been put together by a master artist. And I think our life is like that. Can I ask you to give those broken pieces to the master and watch what he'll do with it? Carl, is it uh, this trauma that they're bringing into camps at age 14? Is that because of the incredible sexualization of kids at this super young age? Is it what they're able to access on the Internet? Is it the way in which they're learning more about things that they shouldn't be necessarily thinking or learning about at this age? All the above, brother. Okay, you, yeah. you see that. Yeah. I mean, let's let's be honest. We pay to put the drug that's destroying our children's lives in their hands. And you're like, what? No, we don't. Yes, we do. I guarantee you yeah. that probably 80% of the people listening here, their children have some some form of a smart device in their hands, and we're not giving our children access to the world. We're giving the world access to our children. Yeah. Oh, oh, Carl, Carl, you're, you're meddling here. My, my, my children need a smartphone. No, they don't. If they need a phone, they can have a phone that's so dumb that all it can do is call. I mean, they don't need access to all that mess. Mm -hmm. If if give them access to that mess, make sure it's around you in front of you so that you can see what's going on with it. Mm. Because I'm being very honest when I say this, that the devices are destroying a generation. We are giving them access to things that they're not ready for. I just read a story about Corey Ten Boom, who was on a train with her dad, and she asked him a very deep question. And her dad, instead of answering that question, he, he reached up, he pulled his suitcase down, and he put it down on the ground. And he said, Corey, would you carry that suitcase out of here for me? And she tries, and she said, Dad, I can't. It's too heavy. And his, the father's response, and I think this is a smart father, looked at her and said, there are some things in life 
that are just too heavy for you to carry at this age. You don't need to worry about that right now. And sometimes I think we have exposed our children to things way too early, and they're suffering the consequences of it. We are sexualizing everything. I mean, you can't turn on TV, watch a movie that you're not going to get inundated, especially with the LGBT and 27 other letter combination that you want to put together. These kids are getting taught to think like the world. We've got to stand up and teach them how to deal with those things from the proper resource, and that's God's Word. So, so true. Carl Kirby is my guest, and I so appreciate the work you're doing with young kids, and they are um, in a place of danger because they're 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 coming up against so much of the world is offering them and and not only pursuing them but taking them to places they should never go and i think you're so right about uh cell phones and everything else they can carry on their entire private world i remember as a kid we had a telephone but it was kind of was in a certain area of the kitchen and if you were on the phone everybody knew who you were talking about and everybody knew and you couldn't get away with anything now kids carry on private uh, worlds with their phones in their rooms or wherever they wherever they want to be. I'm in a room uh, staying at a house on one of my ministry trips, three o'clock in the morning, phone starts ringing. I look at mine, it's not there. I'm like, what in the world? I'm looking around, looking around. Underneath the mattress was the burner phone of the young child's wow. room that I was staying at. The parents didn't have a clue about. It's not easy, but I'm telling you, if you, well, parents, well, my kids are going to get mad at me if I take this away. You know what? You didn't read the parent handbook. Mm-hmm. The rule number three says very clearly, it's it's emboldened that your job as a parent is to make your child mad. Just make them mad for the right reasons. Now, I'm just messing with people there. I know. But here's the reality. If you take away cocaine from a cocaine addict, of course, we're not going to be happy. Mm-hmm. It comes a time when we have to make tough calls and deal with these issues because we're the parents. We're not the buddies. We're the parents. Yeah. Carl, I remember uh, as, as a kid when my friends would complain about what their parents weren't letting them do. And those very kids bragged about their parents in college. Oh, you better believe it. My children to this day are my best friends. And uh, they're 41 and 40. I got five grandchildren. And they are still my best friends because they know that dad will go down swinging for them. I, I very clearly remember one instance with my daughter. I knew something was going on. I just knew it. And so I went into her room. I found her diary. It's locked as if. Broke that joker, <laughs> got in, read, and sure enough, some stuff was going on. Mm-hmm. I confronted her with it. She's like, you went in my room? I said, no, I went in my room. Oh, no, that's my No, it's my room, my house, my room. Uh, you got in my diary. No, anything in my house is mine. And I said, I'm just telling you right now, Lisa, if I feel that anything is going on, I love you so much that I am going to fight for you. I am not going to stand by and let Satan have a foothold on your life. I know because of my background, the bad things that I did, I know how powerful Satan is, and I am not going to not fight for you. Mm-hmm. Now, it's tough at that time, but I tell you right now, she's my best friend. Mm-hmm. She knows Dad loves her. She knows Dad's going to fight for her. Yeah. I love that story, Carl. Is there anybody listening right now that's thinking, oh, that's a trust issue, and Carl just broke it, opening yeah. up the diary? Yeah, it is a trust issue, and I don't trust you. I know you who you are. You're a sinner, <laughs> a sinner, and you're right. I don't trust you because I know the power that Satan has, and if I feel that something is happening, I cannot in good conscience stand by and not do anything and everything that I can. You dislike me now, but you're going to know that I care enough that I, I'm not going to just let it happen. Mm-hmm. So let us know how we can access these resources. Do you have a new app you can tell us about? 
Yeah, yeah, please. Uh, if uh, folks go to their app store and it works on Apple TV, Roku and all that kind of stuff too. All you got to do is go to your app store and search five letters, same as the website, R-F-O-R-H. It stands for Reasons for Hope, R-4-H. And when you search that, you just look uh, look for a blue asterisk on a black background and download it. Inside there, guys, I'm telling you right now, parents, there's a Just for Kids section down there. Got 36 art lessons for you. Got a one-month devotional called Fast Facts that you can watch a minute and have video every day. And then have a there's questions based on the video. Answers are in there with a coloring sheet if you got the ADD gang like me and they got to do something with their hands. There's all videos that, I mean hours but the one i'll call your attention to is the uh, debunked tab mm-hmm. and that's when you open that that's going to be the white tab with that blue paint spot and you kind of mentioned that um, about our fast-paced videos yeah and when you open that you'll see debunked videos 25 currently are up there right now uh three and a half to five minute animated fast paced there's a there's a, also inside that same folder debunked tv 28 minute nice. programs that flesh out the arguments we used in those videos so that you feel more comfortable using them. Mm-hmm. Do you sleep, Carl, or, or do you just go nonstop? <laughs> I, you know, I've been blessed. ADD, people think, oh, what a, <laughs> what a, what a terrible thing. Yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, ADD is a gift from God when you learn how to harness it. Because awesome. I can do more in three days than most people can do in three weeks. But I, <laughs> I love it. I love I it. typically last three minutes. So, <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on the show. We'll get you back on soon. Love it, man. Thanks. Thank you, guys. You bet. you bet. Carl Kirby's been my guest. Again, Reasons for Hope or rforh.com. We'll be right back. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Hey. It's the afternoon show. Okay, Bible open, notebook out, pen in hand, which is the proper formula for Bible study. Our guest today is Dr. Greg Heddington. We're going to continue our study. As a matter of fact, wrap up our study of Daniel today. So we're going to look at chapter 10 and 11. Greg, welcome back to the show. Bill, thanks. And welcome to the 11th and last lesson in our study of Daniel. These lessons have been spread over several months, which I'm sure it can be confusing if someone were to tune in today for the first time. So I want to do a short overview of not just Daniel, but give a 10,000-foot view of Scripture in general for context. Now, there's a lot of prophecy in history in Daniel, and it's, it's just inescapable. And I know some people like to read a few verses of Scripture, close the book, and then say, okay, what does that mean to me? Well, That's not really the best way to read Scripture, because every one of these 66 books, which cover 1,600 years, written by over 40 authors in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, all these 66 books form a coherent history of the Middle East world and were written to a certain people. For example, when we read the nine letters the Apostle Paul wrote— to certain churches, then we're actually reading someone else's mail. In other words, the point I'm making is each book of Scripture was written to a particular person or people, but it was also written for us. That's a good one to remember. It was written to them, 
but for us. After all, it's the Word of God, so it is of great value to us. Now, if any of you uh, ever studied history in a secular school, you read that history from a particular point of view. In other words, historians confirm the historical facts of who, what, and when certain events occurred. Now, we believers usually agree with those secular historical facts. However, we also read history from the perspective of knowing we have a heavenly Father who created all things and has his own plans for how everything will turn out, and not just who, what, and when, but God answers the questions of how and why. And from Scripture, we learn that God is in control of everything, which, by the way, has been our theme of the book of Daniel. And that's a truth we read uh, over and over throughout Scripture. By the way, there is an expression that is not simply a clever thing to say, but is true, which is, history is his story. Now, theologians like to call Scripture salvation history. When I went to seminary, they love to talk about salvation history. And to repeat what we just said, whereas historians look at Scripture and answer questions of who, what, and when certain things occur, we read Scripture appreciating the who, what, and when facts, but we also read Scripture to see how God's Word explains the how and why things that occur as God's purpose for the world, and the why answers uh, are woven into His story of redemption for all people who choose to follow God, and later in the New Testament, people discover the face of God himself in Jesus. That was a long sentence. (laughs) It's kind of like when uh, Paul does that uh, in the Ephesians letter, when in the original Greek, Paul gets so excited about what he's writing that he writes 14 straight verses without a period. Now, believe me, I am no Apostle Paul. I just sometimes happen to write long sentences hoping they are grammatically correct, and I'm sure Bill will correct me if I mess up on that. So we read Scripture oh, yeah. I'm with watching, thoughts I'm watching what everything. theologians call salvation history, which means God's plan to offer salvation to all people. And I want to make clear that this perspective of reading, which we call salvation history, and includes all 66 books of Scripture, this perspective runs right along parallel to the history, which anyone can read, if they only want to know who, what, and when. But we want to understand more. We want the deeper spiritual implications and discover the how and why answers to our longing for meaning and purpose in life. Now, let's look at the context in which Daniel was written. And while we do, we might as well have an overview of Jewish history. No small thing, but if you're taking notes, Roman number one, a brief Jewish history. God chose Abraham to start the race of his chosen people in Genesis 12. Why did God choose them? Scripture tells us there was no particular reason for them, yet God wanted to choose a people to love and who would reflect his love by reaching out to other peoples. Abraham began the Hebrew race, which later will be called the Jewish race, around 2000 B.C., and for hundreds of years, God sent judges and warrior kings and prophets to the Jews, warning them that they must be a blessing to others as well by their love for these people. But sadly, over the years, the Jews often turned to other idols and did not want to share God's blessing with others. 
So after numerous warnings that they would be wise to turn back to their loving Jehovah God, and these warnings came from prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, God finally dropped the hammer. The Jewish kingdoms uh, by this time were divided into north and south. That was in 931 B.C. So because of their consistent idolatry, which means turning to other idols to worship, the northern kingdom, called Israel, fell first in 722 B.C. to their enemies, the Assyrians. And the Jewish people were scattered all over the Middle East. And that land was not referred to as Israel again for over 2,000 years. That northern area is known today as Samaria. The southern kingdom called Judah, now part of Palestine, is where the name Jewish originated. The southern kingdom uh, held out longer, but in 586 B.C., a year which most Jews are aware of, the Babylonian army rushed in like a tidal wave, destroyed the Jerusalem uh, temple, and then took off the best and brightest boys and marched them across the desert. Bill, that's a lot to say. Maybe it's time for a quick um, station hello, and this is the study of Daniel. Oh, I know. I love this. And this is our, we're wrapping up our study of Daniel. We're in chapter 10 and 11, and uh, Dr. Greg Heddington is our teacher. And I've so enjoyed this over the months, Greg. So let's continue. Well, this Babylonian army rushed in, as I said, like a tidal destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, then took some of the best and brightest Jewish boys and marched them 500 miles east across the Arabian Desert to the empire of Babylonia. Now, it's sort of like an involuntary Rhodes Scholar program, so to speak, because Babylonia wanted to repatriate these exceptional Jewish boys into their pagan Babylonian society and require them to forget their Jewish God and culture and become Babylonians. By the way, Babylonia is now the country we refer to as Iraq. Roman numeral two, Daniel in Babylon. This all finally brings us to the book of Daniel. Daniel and his three best Jewish buddies become part of a, well, it's a type of a Rhodes Scholarship program uh, in which all new Jewish exiles will receive the best training of all the people, all the people in the area. And therefore, over the years, God also helps them in their training by giving these three young men great skill in learning the Babylonian literature and culture. But these four young men never forsake their faith in the one true God. Now, the names of Daniel's three Jewish buddies are Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, but you might know them better by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's only a few years into their captivity that God blesses Daniel with the gift of knowing what the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar dreams and Daniel's able to translate what these dreams mean. He's able to interpret them, what they mean for the Babylonian king and for the chosen people. By the way, one particular item God gives Daniel to understand is that although his people are being punished for their idolatry by God and allowing the Babylonians to conquer Jerusalem, this exile in Babylonia has an expiration date. It will last 70 years, and then the king of Babylon will allow the Jews who wish to return to their decimated homeland. So in summary, to bring us up to today's lesson after this long review of Jewish history, Daniel is awarded a high position 
in the Babylonian administration because of his wisdom and interpretation of dreams, and his three buddies are also given significant government positions. Now, we've studied the well-known story of God saving Daniel in the lion's den. We did that a few weeks ago. Plus the story of Daniel and his three buddies being protected by God in the fiery furnace where they had been sent to die. So number three, application, Roman numeral three. In both of these cases, we saw the lesson for us as well that God does not save us from difficult circumstances because believers don't live in a magical life where they escape problems, but God can save us in the lion's den, in the fiery furnace. So therefore, we're given instructions for how to live when the Apostle Paul gives advice for how to follow the will of God in his letter to the church in the city of Thessalonica, or as they call it in Greece, Thessaloniki. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Paul gives us three instructions in order to do the will of God. We've heard them before, but here they are again. Verse 16 of 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, number one, rejoice always. Number two, pray without ceasing. And number three, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, after hearing the scripture read, I want to again emphasize, Paul does not say give thanks for all circumstances. I mean, it would be madness to thank God for tragic and horrendous things that happened to us and to others. But like Daniel, we can give thanks in all circumstances. Why would we do that? For one reason only. And we know this one truth from Scripture, which is what? God is in control of everything. All things occur ultimately for God's purpose and plan, even though we will not understand why many things happen this side of eternity. We must wait to ask God one day what he meant for those many tragedies and the good events that occurred in this life on earth. And so we pray in all circumstances, knowing God is sovereign. He is Lord. He is in control of everything. And one more thing to also remember before we jump into this week's lesson. From Scripture, we learn three more things. Number one, God is good. Number two, God is always moving on our behalf. And three, God is working all things for our good. We may not always feel that way, but we live by faith and not by feelings. The kingdom of God will last forever. And one day, every knee will bow to the master of the universe. And now I think we're ready for the final lesson in Daniel as we look at chapters 10 and 11. And Bill, it may be time for a break. You know, Greg, I think we can do that because when we come back, we can get right into the meat of chapters 10 and 11 in Daniel. Dr. Greg Hennington is our teacher. We're going to take a short break and be right back. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have my friend, Dr. Greg Heddington, wrapping up his study on the book of Daniel. I just spoke to uh, his agent and we did have a contract extension. Thank you so much. <laughs> so after this, yeah, after this book, we'll find another uh, topic to study. I'm sure you'll uh, pick a great book to uh, lead us in as well. But let's, let's wrap up uh, chapters uh, 10 and 11 in the book of Daniel. Great, Bill. And, you know, I hope if you didn't get the first part of the, of the talk, you can uh, listen to it later on uh, and Bill, what do they do for that? By the way, they go to myfaithradio.com and they just go, go, uh, 
put your name in the in the word search, and all of the teachings on Daniel should show up. That's great. Okay, Bill, we're ready for uh, Roman numeral four, which is Daniel's vision. The last few chapters of Daniel are not easy to understand because they're about the dreams and visions which God gives to Daniel, and then Daniel's interpretation of them. So. I don't want to get lost in too many of the details, but the dreams and visions do prophetically speak of future kingdoms that follow the Babylonian dynasty. So let me give the dates of these empires that the Daniel somehow, God gives him the vision and the understanding and the interpretation, so he can write these empires down, and then you can review them later. If, you, if you're unable to take the notes at this time, I suppose you can re-listen to the lesson later. So let's uh, let's admit that it's absolutely incredible that Daniel was able to list these prophecies at the time he wrote them, which was around 535 B.C., regarding future empires, even though he did not understand them. But he saw symbols which represented these empires, and historians have since accurately confirmed what Daniel was seeing, and those empires were correct. So first is the empire in which Daniel was living, which is the Babylonian Empire, which went from 612 to 539 B.C. Then the Medo-Persian Empire succeeded it and went from 539 to 331 B.C. Then the powerful Greek Empire, which was started by Alexander the Great, was 331 to 63 B.C., And then the mighty Roman Empire lasted almost 500 years and officially began in 27 B.C. and lasted until September 7, 476 A.D. But it had begun to crumble from within about 100 years before. So those are the dates. And now we're going to jump into the story that uh, uh, Daniel tells. And we're picking up in Roman numeral 5. And we're going to start calling this part the Cosmic War. Now, we know from Scripture that it's the invisible demonic influence that is behind human conflict because Scripture speaks of Satan as the prince of the power of this present darkness. Now, this reality has been around since the Garden of Eden, but God counters this evil. And although the armies of Israel fought numerous wars physically against their enemies, they always knew, even from their own Scripture, that the victories they won over their enemies were not the result of their own power or strategy, but rather because God empowered them to fight and to fight along with them. So in chapter 10, we find Daniel in deep prayer and fasting for his people because they are undergoing great hardships since some of them have finally returned after 70 years, been released to return to their devastated city of Jerusalem. Daniel prays and fasts for three weeks. That is an amazingly long time. And at the end of that time, Daniel is visited by an angel who is so frightful in appearance and overwhelming that all of Daniel's friends in the area run for cover. Now, Daniel waits to hear hopeful words from this angel about his struggling friends who return to Jerusalem, but he receives nothing that he can understand. I think it's probably because he's so exhausted and weak from his three weeks of fasting and praying that he then falls into a deep sleep. Well, before he falls asleep, Daniel must have been thinking, oh, please, I have been fasting and praying for three weeks, 
and then an angel appears, and I'm hoping to hear good news about my people back home who are still in turmoil, and I'm receiving no help. And after all, am I not God's faithful prophet for all these years? It's probably the last thoughts. Then Daniel falls into this deep sleep. Then the next thing that happens, he's tapped on his shoulder, and he hears these words written in Scripture. Daniel, man greatly loved, stand up, for I have been sent to you. Well, guess what? This is the same angel who probably is just giving him a good sleep so he'll be alert. It's the same angel he'd seen before, and he tells Daniel why he'd been delayed. And I'm sure Daniel wants to know. Now, hold that thought. Before we get back to that story, I want to mention there are only two angels who are identified in Scripture by name. One is Gabriel. He's an angel who's given power by God to announce plans to certain people. For instance, it was Gabriel who explained visions to Daniel in chapters 8 and 9. And also, Gabriel announced the birth of the baptizer and the birth of Jesus to their mothers. Now, the other angel mentioned by name is Michael. He's the only what we call archangel mentioned in Scripture. Now, the title archangel is not actually mentioned in Scripture, but we use that lofty title because in verse 13 of chapter 10, this other angel who we're talking about, who awakens Daniel, refers to Michael as, quote, the chief of princes. Now, Michael's name means who is like God, and Michael, E-L, the suffix of names always refers to God. So Michael's name, if you know anybody named Michael, it actually means who is like God. And he has certain responsibilities for the people of Israel. Bill, we're uh, we're going to Daniel right now. Yeah, we're just down the home stretch, Greg, so keep uh, keep getting us here to the finish of our study in, in Daniel chapter 10 and 11. Dr. Greg Heddington, continue, please. All right. In a, now, in Revelations chapter 12, verses 7 to 9, Michael fights Satan and Satan's rebellious angels, and then Michael tosses them out of heaven. Now, that did not just occur. That incident happened before the creation of the world. If you've ever read Milton's Paradise Lost, a very poetic retelling uh, in a sort of a sort of a narrative form about that. Now, we don't know much more about Michael, except he's incredibly powerful, and he is a commander of angel armies. Now, let's go back to discover why this other angel was delayed in answering the prayers of Daniel. Here's what the angel says in verse 13. He says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. In other words, he fought me to a standstill. He withstood me for 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came, he, well, he is the chief prince, came to help me because I was left alone with the prince of Persia. Now, let me break this down and give three points to what we just talked about here. First, this is one of the two most explicit stories, including Revelations 12, of angels in Scripture fighting against demons. Second, there is an invisible cosmic war going on 24 hours a day in this world between the forces of God and the forces of Satan. 
and it never stops. While we're sleeping at night, Satan is doing push-ups. Third, demons are powerful, but the most powerful weapon anyone can ever use against Satan is prayer. Why? Because prayer is calling on the power of God. Now, one more note to make things clear. When the angel speaks of a, quote, prince, for example, the prince of Persia, the angel is actually referring to whoever is the primary demon that is responsible for a particular country. In that case, it was Persia. In other words, the word prince is used for, it does not refer, it does not refer to a political figure. The word prince in this scripture is referring to territorial demons, unless, of course, they refer to Michael, who's called the chief of princes. And But in other cases, the word prince refers to demons. So I hope that's clear. And uh, now, just before we close this lesson with our take-home points, I want to say this. I think it's interesting to hear Michael's words as he exits Daniel's presence. When This is what he essentially says. He says, God has heard your prayers, Daniel. I'll give you some words directly from Yahweh. And then if you'll excuse me, I have some unfinished business with the with a prince, remember, referring to a demonic prince of the country, with another prince. So it's the prince of Persia. And then he says, I'm going to then pick a fight with the prince of Greece. But don't worry, I won't be alone this time. I'm teaming up with Archangel Michael, so the smart money is on me. Okay, maybe that's not exactly. It's a pretty strong paraphrase, but you can read about it in Chapter 10. Roman numeral 6. What's the take-home from this lesson? Well, first, events in this world cannot be interpreted by historians alone. The book of Daniel and other scripture demonstrate that events in human history must combine the who, what, when, and where answers from secular historians along with the how and why answers by scriptural historians in order to get an accurate history of the world. Second point. Believers are engaged in spiritual warfare every day, whether or not we are even aware of it. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 6. And therefore, we are to put on the spiritual armor of God in order to stand firm against the inevitable attacks of Satan. And Paul brilliantly uses this metaphor of Roman armor uh, in Ephesians chapter 6. First, there's the belt of truth. In other words, we live each day with truth tightly secured in us with which we do battle. Second, we have the breastplate of righteousness. In other words, our moral living demonstrates that we've been made right with God. Third, the shoes are are the gospel of peace. In other words, it's the word of God that brings peace. Fourth, the shield of faith. In other words, when the enemy takes shots at us, we hold up our shield to quench those shots. Fifth, there's the helmet of salvation. In other words, we have an assurance that God will do all he's promised. Sixth, there's the sword of the Spirit. In other words, that is the only offensive weapon, and we use it to powerfully bring the Word of God to mind. Now, the third point of our take-home is in Daniel's visions uh, is about the power and importance of prayer. In 16th century Europe, it was, it was Mary, Queen of Scots, who re, is reputed to have said that she feared the prayers of the great Protestant reformer John Knox more than she feared any army. Or, as the late Peter Dynecka, a missionary to the Slavic people, often used to say, much prayer, much power. No prayer, no power. 
So one mm-hmm. thing to remember about praying is it does not belong to the prayer. It belongs to God. Prayer has no power in and of itself. Prayer is simply admitting that we know that we are totally dependent on God. And as Jesus says in John fifteen five, abide in me because apart from me you can do nothing. In other words, nothing of eternal value. Now, the fourth and last point of our take-home is this. Daniel's vision reminds us that God's people are never alone. We have seen that angels can help us as ministering spirits after watching Daniel's prayer answered. So angels are surrounding us, which is nice. But we also know that the real power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, according to Romans 8, 11, is within all believers. It's the Holy Spirit who is our advocate, our power, who protects and fights for us. And as Jesus says in Hebrews thirteen five, I will never leave you or forsake you. And that promise is the best news we will ever hear. And Bill, I think that's enough for today. That's an outstanding study, Greg. I have so enjoyed uh, looking at the book of Daniel with you. And, and thank you for your uh, teaching and all of the hard work you've put into this study. I'm looking forward to what you're going to bring to us next. But for now, let's just say uh, thank you. And I know I speak on behalf of many who tune in and who enjoy your teaching, that it uh, it's really hitting home with, uh, with us. So thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you so much, Bill. You bet. All right, Dr. Greg Heddington has been my guest. We're going to take just a little break, and we'll be right back with lots more. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.